So we're going to continue on in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're looking at the dedicated church. What are we as a church to be? How are we to be devoted? What are we to focus on? And we've covered two very big ones, which is the devotion to the truth being spoken, the truth being preached at all times, and our devotion to being a praying church. So now I want us to look at two others. And I know it's an afternoon, we all just had fried chicken and it's raining outside, so I get it. So I will try not to be as long as I am in a morning message, but I'm not promising anything there. I will try. But I want us to look at the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, we often believe that we fellowship. And when churches do, I'm thankful for it, but Fellowship is a much deeper meaning here than just getting together with people that you know or some people of like mind and just being together. This fellowship is different. So let's let's review quickly. Our, our text is, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayer. So this is a church that has already showed themselves to be dedicated and devoted. They've showed themselves to be uh powerfully transformed, a church full of true believers, a church full of those who are born-again believers, who are dedicated to hearing the truth of God's uh, Word preached, who are devoted to that doctrine, who are devoted to growing, and who are a praying church and a praying people. And now we hear that this church is dedicated. They've continued steadfastly in fellowship. Now these people, as I said last night, were not transformed with this powerful transformation taking them from their old man to their new self to just go home and be alone to live the life of a hermit. These people are doing this together as a church. This walk, as we said last night, is not to be done alone. It's dangerous to go it alone. You will fail if you go it alone. You have a body here for a purpose. You have been fitly jointed together, as the Scripture says. So if you take a part of your body off and that body tries to function alone, it dies. Brothers and sisters, that's you. If you take yourself away from the church and you believe you're going to do this Christian walk on your own, you will die. You will falter. You will fail. You will be corrupted Because you cannot do this alone. You are a part of something bigger than yourself. You're a part of a body. You may be an arm. You may be a hand. You may be an ear. You may just be the little toe. But you're part of this body. And without you being a part of that body, you will die. Not only is the church affected, you are affected. And then your church is left limping along. Because it is not a whole body. You, church, are to do this church life, this Christian walk, together. You have committed yourselves together when you join this church. You've covenanted to to be together. To be accountable to one another. To reprove one another. To rebuke one another. To encourage one another. To warn one another. To fellowship with one another. That's what you at this church have done when you've joined this church. That you will be committed to each other. To care for one another. This is not just someone you know. This is part of you now. These people truly felt 
that they were a part of one another and they acted like they were a part of one another. Now it's one thing to say, yes, I feel a part of my church, but not act like you're a part of your church. There's a big difference. We can talk a big game. Everybody can talk a big game about being great church members, being devoted, being dedicated. But when push comes to shove, a lot of us make an excuse why we can't be there for this, why we can't be there for that. When in reality, we make priorities in our personal life much higher than our priority for our church life. And we've all been guilty of that. Me too. There's been Wednesday nights where I'm like, I need a really good excuse because I don't want to go. It happens. It's tempting. But brothers and sisters know that once you start down that path, you just start getting cold, colder and cold. And that church that you are not attending, the church you're not being with, they're struggling because part of their body is not there with them. So this church truly felt and lived that they were part of each other. So this word fellowship, it's a word you've heard before. It's called koinonia. That's simply what this word is. It means an association, a community, a joint participation. Not a partial participation, and every now and then participation. Oh, Lewis does most of this participation, and the deacon does this participation. It's a joint participation. Church life is you, church body. You are the church and you are to fellowship koinonia together as a church. You're to be completely bonded with one another, to have this mutual affection towards one another. Now, are you going to like everybody in your church all the time? No. Do you get on each other's nerves? Yes. That ha- We're people. We're human. We do things that grade each other the wrong way. But this body is so much bigger and so much more important and so impactful because it is not just a body that decided to come together. This is a body that was joined together by Jesus Christ. Blood was shed so that you could show love towards that annoying person in the pew behind you. Blood was shed so that you could reach out the right hand of fellowship to the person you've never liked. This isn't a social club where you come and go as you please. You pay your dues and you do as you will. This is a body of blood-bought believers. A blood-bought body. This is not to be taken lightly. Fellowship is not one of the afterthoughts of church life. It is church life. You don't just hear preaching on Sunday and then you go home and then you come back on Sunday and hear preaching and Sunday after Sunday you just hear preaching and that's your devotion to the church. That is not church life. Church life is you being together, walking together, caring for one another, loving one another, Loving one another so much that you're willing to give of yourself, to give of your time, to give of your money, to put your needs to the side so that you can take care of your brothers and sisters that need you. But you're not going to do that if you just show up on Sunday. Anybody can show up to a church building on Sunday. In fact, it happens all across the nation. People come to church on Sunday and don't even know half the people sitting in the building with them. Not even sure of their name. And I'm not just talking about big churches. I'm talking about small churches, mid-sized churches. Do you really, really know each other? 
Or do you just know each other? Yes, that's a brother in my church. Do you know his needs? Do you know his struggles? That's just the young mother in our church. She's newer. Do you know how she needs help? Can you be with her to help her? Do you know your pastor enough to know his cares and his concerns? Yes, he carries burdens too. Yes, he carries cares too of this world. Do you know each other? Are you committed to loving one another? Because you see, when you fellowship with one another, it is much more than just you fellowshipping together. It is you fellowshipping together with God. Fellowshipping with God, brothers and sisters, this is this is the big leagues here. This isn't just getting together and having a good time. This is a body worshiping its Savior. First John chapter one, verse three says that which ye have seen and heard, we declare to you that you and also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. And then in verses five through seven, it says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, your fellowship and is not just you with God, and it's not just you with each other. It's you as a body to God. That is what our fellowship is about. Now, do we get together and have a good time? Absolutely. Christianity is fun. We're to be a joyful people to enjoy being together. Play games, play sports, go to a ball game. It's, it's fine, it's good. But that's not the primary focus of our fellowship. That's how you get to know each other. For brothers and sisters, we are to be a body that is committed to worshiping God together. Even when we're getting together to have a good time. God is in our midst because God is our head and we are his body. But one thing we notice here in this verse is that sin cannot remain in his presence. If we walk in him, sin cannot keep its grip on you. You must believe that. Because when you come to this body, you're coming bearing burdens. You're coming bearing guilt. Other people are struggling with sins. But know this, that if you are in fellowship with God and you are truly walking with Him, sin does not own you. Yes, you may fall. Yes, we have temptations. But sin has no grip on you when you are His. And you, body of at Ripley, have been blood bought by Jesus Christ. And sin does not own you. Even when sin creeps its way in, it does not have a grip upon you. It does not own you. You are free of the bondage of sin. But when you break away from the body, sin's deadly grip grasps hold of you. And it begins to choke the spiritual life out of you. You church together walking in light with the knowledge that sin does not own you is how you fellowship together because you can help each other then say, brother, I know you're struggling, but you are not owned by that sin. You're owned by Jesus Christ. 
You're not owned by pornography. You're owned by Jesus Christ. You're not owned by alcohol. You're owned by Jesus Christ. He owns you. Sin has no hold over you. Satan's darts will come at you. As I said last night, his goal is not to take the the world. He already has it. He wants the church. And he will do whatever he can to destroy this church. But know this. He may win a few battles, but he has lost the war. And you must know that. That he has no hold over you. His darts hurt, but guard against them by being together as a church. Because you have to guard one another. You have to guard one another, brothers and sisters. This is true fellowship in Christ. We aren't in true fellowship with Christ or His saints when we deny our sins either. When we come into this body believing I have no sin, believing I have no faults, denying that we have issues. Well, the Scripture just told us you're lying. We all have issues. We've all got sins. But we have to fight against them. And there is no better place to do that than right here with your church body. Do not fight those sins alone. Go to your pastor. Go to a godly sister. Go to a godly brother. Confide in one another. Get accountability partners. Communicate with one another. But if you're not fellowshipping with one another, you're not going to know who to go to. You're not going to feel comfortable going to someone if you don't know who they are. You church must know one another so that you can trust one another. So that you can go to one another. One of the true marks of our ongoing sanctification and what this church showed is the growing awareness of just really how far short we fall of righteousness and reaching perfection. If we think we're becoming perfect, then you're getting further and further away from being perfect. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. You can't live in both worlds. You can't be comfortable with the world and think you can be comfortable in church. You need to be uncomfortable with one of those two. And I hope it's the world. But you cannot have both. You cannot walk in the spirit of the flesh and the spirit of life. They are contrary to one another. So seeing that sin has to be fought against, it's no wonder that this church was daily in the temple. This is the new church. They just learned this glorious truth. And now they're coming to the temple. They're not just coming on the Sabbath days. They're not just coming on the the, uh, holy days and the feasts. They're coming daily together in the temple to learn. You know, the Jews uh, kept to the courts in the temple. They did. But this church also went to the temple. You know how uh, frustrating that had to be for the Jews at the temple who were trying to still hang on to the Jewish religion and all of a sudden you've got this sect of people over here. The temple is large. So you've got this large gathering over there wanting to learn about the Savior that the people over there had just crucified and killed. The man that they had just taken and beaten and murdered. Now his followers are coming back into your court to worship. The temple became again what it was designed to be. The house of the Father and the home of man. Oh, how infuriating that had to be for the 
for the Jews, but how encouraging it must have been for this new church because they were the visible picture of the spiritual revelation and all the promises that had been held to for all of those years was now being fulfilled in that temple. And they fellowshiped together. You see through these next few verses of Acts chapter 2 how they fellowshiped in just some of the practical ways. They sold their possessions. They gave to each other as needed. Uh, They were in each other's houses every day eating. They pretty much became just a community, their own little community, because they were so devoted to one another that they didn't want to be away from each other. Oftentimes, we want to come to church on Sunday and then we're ready to go back and get away from all the people at church. This church couldn't stand to be away from one another. That was the only place they wanted to be was with their brothers and sisters. That's where their heart was because they shared the same Savior. Because they were bought by that same Blood. So that is what our fellowship is together. Now, if you are not dedicated to the doctrine of God, and you're not dedicated to truly scripturally fellowshipping with one another, and you're not dedicated to prayer, then the breaking of the bread is going to be an odd situation for you. You'll feel awkward if you even show up. So let's talk about the breaking of bread. Now, there was this deep sense of unity among these people. They're constantly together. They're sharing meals together. They were all redeemed sinners. They all knew it. They all knew they had been saved by the same blood. They all knew that they had this eternal condemnation over their head until Jesus Christ brought them from that and gave them eternal hope and purpose and glory in Him. They knew that they were all destined for an eternal kingship. Their status no longer mattered. You had rich and poor, but they were all one in Christ. And that is what this fellowship is. And knowing this and having it, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was in their minds daily. His sacrifice was constantly in their mind. Oh, that we would remember the sacrifice of Christ the way that this church did. It was fresh to them. Brothers and sisters, it should be just as fresh to you today because you were bought at that cross. This is not old history for you. You should have as much zeal and as much joy over remembering the sacrifice of Christ as this New Testament church did. Because it is that same blood and that one sacrifice that purchased all of His people. This breaking of the bread here in verse 42 is not talking about eating meals together. They did that later on, but and it talks about the breaking of bread daily in, in each other's houses. But it's up here in this other verse for a reason. This breaking of bread here is the Lord's Supper because it's showing you what the church are to be dedicated to. You're to be dedicated to the truth preached, to having koinonia, to being a praying church, and to being a church that remembers the Lord's Supper. The breaking of the bread here is the communion, as we say it, the Lord's Supper, or the communion meal, however your, your church labels that. But this meal was united. This church was still doing something together. You don't have communion by yourself. Okay? That's not what you do. You don't say, I'm going to get some wine and some bread and I'm going to remember the Lord's Supper at home by myself. You are doing this as a body because His body 
was broken for your body to bring you into his body of which he is the head. You are to do communion together as a church. They continued in this breaking of bread and celebrating the memorial of their master's death, their savior's death, their savior's sacrifice. And they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. They gloried in being able to do this. They took much joy in being able to do this. Yes, it's a solemn event. Yes, it should bring tears when we remember what has happened to us. But there is much joy in taking the bread and the wine and remembering what that sacrifice is for us. And this is a duty. This is not something optional for members of the body of Christ. You are called into this body and it is your duty as a Christian, as a member to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's not something you can skip out on because it's in an afternoon service and you've got somewhere to be. It should be more important to you than that. This is the remembrance of Christ on a cross. Shame on us if we take it lightly. Shame on us if we have our priorities over remembering Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. This is a duty for us. And we're to do this until we are called home. We are to do this until there is no more tear, there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, and there is no more sin. And we are worshiping at the feet of our risen Savior. And until that day, we must remember His sacrifice for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle saying, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread, in which He had given thanks, and He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You're proclaiming Christ's sacrifice in that supper. So what does it mean to proclaim the body of Christ? It's a representation of His actual body, this bread of life that He is being broken on a cross for you and for me. At that first communion, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This event of our Lord's body and his flesh being sacrificed for us was not a calm death. It wasn't a respectable death, a noble death by the world's terms. The cross was a symbol of shame reserved for the worst. It was degrading. It was reserved for the lowest of society. Brothers and sisters, that's you and I. We deserve a shameful, degrading cross. That is what we have earned by our deeds. That is what we deserve by our lives. That is our just reward that we are owed. But Jesus Christ took that upon Himself. For you. His flesh and his skin were torn. It was gruesome. They ripped his beard from his face. 
They slapped him in the face. They punched him in the face and they spit in the face of God himself. And then they stripped him naked and they laid open his back with a brutal whip of torture. This isn't some little flowing streams of blood. This is a torn open body of flesh. For you. And then after they had laid him open in a gruesome beating that many people died from. They took a crown of thorns and we're not talking a little bramble bush or rose thorns. We're talking finger length thorns that they had woven into a crown. And they didn't just place it upon his head. They beat it down with rods until it pierced his head and blood flowed down. What a gruesome sight. A naked man with his back torn completely open with blood flowing down his face with half of his beard missing. And yet he stands and he takes a cross upon his back willingly. They did not force him to take up his cross. He picked it up for you and for me. He willingly picked up that burden and he carried it up. That healed. And by it we were healed. By it you have been cleansed. Well, if you realize how dirty you are, the cleansing of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ for me, why? Why, Lord? Why me? done nothing to deserve this. I deserved a cross. But we read in Isaiah chapter 53. He says in verse 4, Surely, surely He has borne our griefs and He has carried your sorrows. Yet we still We did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. The chastisement of our peace. Do you know what that means? You were at war with God Himself. Just your very Adamic nature that you have by being born made you at war with the God of heaven. You and God didn't coexist together in some type of mutual understanding that I don't really believe in you or I'm not going to adhere to that. You were at war with God. You hated God. You hated the things of God. You hated the light of God. Because when you see the light of God, it exposes your sin. And we hated God. But His chastisement brought your peace. God Himself came down to this earth in flesh to be chastised and scorned so that you would have peace with Him. You didn't go to God to have peace. You didn't stick out the right hand of fellowship and say, God, let's make amends. He came down to you 
And he bore your sorrow. He bore your sin. Your sin. Oh. Upon the back of Christ himself. Yes. He took your sins. Willingly upon that cross. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We were just wandering blind sheep, leaderless. But in order to bring you into his fold, to make you safe, he sacrificed himself so that you could be a part of the fold of the shepherd. No more a wandering sheep, but now safe, insecure, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Down to verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul. God the Father shall see the travail of the soul of Christ and he shall be satisfied. Brothers and sisters, if you had been willing to go to the cross yourself, God would not be satisfied. Only Christ could satisfy God and he looked upon the travail. The suffering of his soul. And he was satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He carried your grief and your sorrow. We were healed by his brokenness. Because our sin was laid upon him. But God was satisfied with him. There's. When I survey the wondrous cross. On which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ my Lord. All vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. See, look. See from His head, His hands, His feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? His dying crimson like a robe spread o'er his body on the tree. Then I am dead to all the globe and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Brothers and sisters, this fellowshipping, this breaking of bread, this drinking of the wine. It demands your everything. 
Your complete dedication. God forbid that I boast save in the cross of Jesus Christ. And how do we proclaim His blood? His blood represents a new covenant for you and I. This wine is an emblem, a representation of His blood, which bought this new covenant by which it was ratified and by which it was confirmed for you and I. Because before it was simply sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice and blood after blood after blood in the first covenant with Moses. But this second covenant, a covenant of grace, which is why it's called the New Testament. It is a New Testament for us as the Lamb of God takes away your sins with His blood. And He makes a new covenant, a new and living covenant, which you cannot break. The people of Israel broke God's covenant. But in Jeremiah 31, He says, I will write a new covenant in their hearts. You cannot break this covenant because it is bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and it is sufficient for the cause. When He grabs hold of you, brothers and sisters, there is no going back. You are His and He will not let you go. Though you may try, though you may stray, He will not let you go because He has made a covenant before God with His very blood that you are His and He will present you faultless before God one day. He has written you in the palm of His hands and He will lose none of you because He has a covenant with God that He sealed with His blood. This is the end of the Mosaic Covenant. The confirming of a new one. And what it does is it makes one shepherd with one flock. Brothers and sisters, there's not a bunch of different flocks of God. Now, we're different church bodies. There's different denominations. But I declare to you that all who are under the blood of Jesus Christ are His body. There is a universal body of Jesus Christ upon this earth and we have the privilege to be a small body here in the church. But we are part of a bigger body who is led by Jesus Christ Himself. That's where the pray comes in, where it says pray for your brethren, all of them. I don't care if you know their name or not. Just say, God help the Christians in China. He knows their name. He knows the number of the hairs upon their head. He will cover them with your prayers. So pray for all because you are all one flock through His blood. This blood takes away the sin of the world. This knowledge of Christ crucified is what we are justified with as we saw in Isaiah 53. Therefore, He commands His disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's saying, preacher, if you see a person, start preaching. Preach to all of them. I don't care what nation they're from, what background they have. There is one flock of God, so go out and find them. Preachers, go find those people in church. You help the preachers in doing that task by praying for them, by supporting them. And by praying for hearts to be opened. Because you are part of a bigger flock. We are all called. Called into the fold of the good shepherd. And for this purpose, his blood was poured out for us. So that is what you're doing 
and remembering when you're drinking that wine. You're remembering that you are a part of a bigger picture and you are sealed with His blood eternally. Hallelujah! You cannot be lost. You may try, but He will not let you go because He has sealed you. So when you take that bread, you remember that it was His stripes that His stripes and His broken body placed upon a cross that you deserved. And when you drink that blood, you remember that He bought you and He made you His own. So when we take the cup and we drink, remember that you're partakers of a new covenant. You belong to one flock. Lord, it was His voice that bids you come as it is His voice that bids all His people come. And we shall answer and be together. But remember this when you drink that blood. Your sins have been removed. That's rejoicing news. That's why you, even though the gruesomeness of the death and the tears that you may shed, you can rejoice in that communion supper because you know that you are made righteous and holy before Him. That you are sanctified. That you are justified. And that you are now walking together as a body to continue that sanctification. Our sacrifices now are a repentant heart. Praising lips. That's how we sacrifice to God now. By worship. No more blood. Because He died once and for all. Our sacrifice is to worship Him. And worship Him with a repentant heart. So think on this covenant the next time that this church has their communion supper. Remember that seal. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things are in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to do something. To present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in His sight. You, you're repro- you are above reproach. You are blameless. You are holy to God because of Jesus Christ. One more thing I want you to do the next time you have your communion supper. And this is why I think it is so important. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 through 17, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So we're coming together as a body, and we are to be cautious so as not to contaminate that body. It is a precious blood-bought body and you should care for it. This communion shows our unity. But it is also a call for self-examination of our own hearts. We're to examine ourselves before we partake. We're to purge ourselves of sins and in in so doing, we are helping to purify the church and to keep it clean. Now, we are blood-bought. You cannot take God's people from Him, but you can hurt His body. Here on this earth.
you can contaminate it. So in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's serious. This communion supper is not to be taken lightly. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That means you don't care enough about the Lord's body to purge your sins before you take that supper. That you haven't looked inward to see, God, is there some sin that I have that I need to purge myself of? Do I have known sins I need to repent of? God, do I have unknown sins that I don't even know? God, help me to purge myself so that I do not hurt your body. But you must have a love for this body to do that. For the church to grow, to be healthy, even under the preaching of doctrine, even under the preaching of sound truth, we must regular be confronting our own sins. You have to do that, brothers and sisters, to look inward. But you also do that through fellowship by looking outward and helping each other. Because I tell you, it's hard to fight sin. And I'll tell you, it's impossible to fight it alone. But you are not alone! He has brought you into a fold. He has made you His body. He gave you each other. It is not by chance that you're here. It's not coincidence that you're here. God brought you together to be His body. So act as His body. Act as one with a love for one another. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. And help one another. Because if you see a sin in your life and you know you need help, there should be someone in this church you go running to. And it doesn't always have to be the pastor. That's the first place I would go. But God has blessed you with spiritual men and women who can help you. Who can guide you. So this breaking of the bread and this communion and this fellowship are key to what's going to happen and what you hear tomorrow. Because without this devotion to learning truth, without this devotion to prayer, without taking it serious, the Lord's Supper, without being serious about fellowship, when Acts chapter 7 and 8 comes along, this church would have crumbled and fallen away. So tomorrow we will look at this church being devoted in persecution, but just know this, If you're not devoted to truth, if you're not devoted to each other, if you're not devoted to the Lord's Supper, and you're not devoted to prayer, you will not be devoted in tribulation. We see something brand new here that's never been done before in this church. This group of saints is the forerunners for us to look to. As I said in the first message, what is your mission statement? To be like Acts 2.42. It's as simple as that. They set the world in a blaze. They turned the world upside down. But they did it together. 
They weren't going rogue, doing it alone. They did this together. So my prayer for you is that you are so dedicated to hearing the truth, that you are so dedicated for praying for the gospel to be preached and that you are so dedicated to the Lord's Supper and so dedicated to one another that you will be unshakable. Let's pray. God in heaven, we we know that we are not worthy to come before your throne. But as we said this morning, Hebrews 10 tells us that we can come boldly because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Lord, let us remember why we can come boldly. Because blood was shed and not just blood, it is the blood of you yourself. Because we were your enemy and yet you loved us. And the only way to bring your enemy to you was to give your blood and your life for your enemy. God, we praise your name for that sacrifice. We know the cross is what we deserve, but Lord, you took it upon yourself. A death of shame so that we could live lives of glory. Lord, I pray for Ripley that this church would be so united together that their fellowship would be so strong that they would be so committed to one another that they literally would be a body. That if one part is missing or one part is hurt, they all know and they all feel. And they all go and help the limping body along. The Lord, they would be so dedicated to each other because Lord, in that dedication, they are fellowshipping with you as your body. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.